I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. This episode was recorded several months ago, before we lost Kevin Conroy. This one hit me so hard. It was the evening before we went to see Wakanda Forever and the overload of colliding grief short-circuited my brain. From the moment I read the news on our Discord, it took me more than 27 hours to be able to speak again. Currently, we are watching through Justice League and its follow-up animated series, Justice League Unlimited, which is magnificent. When we come back to cover those, we will be talking about Kevin. And then I get to see Batman Beyond for the first time. But for now, let's talk about a criminally underwatched animated series, always overshadowed by Batman, but what will probably remain the best specifically comic book adaptation of Superman ever put to the screen. Superman, the animated series. from our enthusiastic race through the historically renowned and beloved Batman the Animated Series, our DC Animated Universe Community Watch continues apace with the lesser-known three-season show about the last son of Krypton. Back with us are Toby Skeels Jungius of Through the Wind Door. Faster than a speeding podcaster, able to leap to tall conclusions in a single bound. <laughs> and a previous guest on the shows about Batman, Chrono Trigger, and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull... Kevin Vahey. More powerful than locomotive and just as subtle. Originally, this aired on Kids WB from 1996 to 1998, and as we mentioned on our previous show, the animation style heavily informed on Batman's relaunched third season. So, Batman copied Superman. The new Batman Adventures aired at the same time as Superman's second season. They were kind of bringing him in line with the new look. And that animation might seem superficially similar to the first two seasons of Batman's Dark Deco. This was, of course, even more inspired by the Fleischer shorts of the 1940s, even down to Clark's blue suit, white shirt and red tie. But this time, two additional different sources heavily informed on the style. The first is cruise ship advertising from the 1940s, capturing that optimistic spirit of American travel bolstered by unintrusive technology. All blue skies and bright primaries and contrasting black and white with almost no grey. The other, if you're a comic book fan, will become apparent after watching just a bit of this, especially in HD, where it is finally freed from its 420p prison, which crushed the colours and dulled the edges of those straight and curved lines. 
It is the drawn style of one of the greatest comic book creators of all time. An argument could be made for the greatest and most influential, the legendary Jack Kirby. Watch closely and you will see those telltale circles joined by diagonal lines that featured in last year's Eternals movie. Watch the rippling energy to find that distinctive Kirby crackle brought to vibrant life and motion. And while Kirby was just one of the artists who worked on Superman books over the years, it was his Fourth World series which delivered Darkseid and the Highfather and their traded sons on Apocalypse and New Genesis that gave this animated series its clearest design ethic, as well as the big bad for seasons two and three of Darkseid. And much like Batman the Animated Series, the version of the Man of Steel we see here, his beautiful metropolis with one foot in the American past and the other in a hopeful future, his supporting cast of allies, Lois, Jimmy, Perry, and most of all, his always criminally underused rogues gallery makes this at least my definitive edition of Superman. I answered a, a question that uh, people were like, whoa, even Christopher Reeve? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know what? Christopher Reeve is, to me, the perfect Superman for that era, at least. Like, I can't think of anyone being able to play it better in 1978. But in this, the world around Superman fits Superman like a glove in a way that none of the films by the Salkins ever fit Superman. Or Brian Singer's version, or least of all, Zack Snyder's version. It really does strike you after watching a few episodes and thinking back on Superman in cinema, wow, he really has only squared off against Lex, then General Zod, then a stand-in for Lex, then Lex again, then Lex again, then Lex and also Batman. And finally, two different versions of Steppenwolf for about two minutes each. Like, he wasn't facing off against anyone in that movie. That's it. That is 44 years of Superman villains on the big screen. Lex, Lex, Zod, Lex, 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 Zod, Batman, Steppenwolf. Superman, the animated series, delivers within its three-year, 54-episode run Brainiac, Toy Man, who we don't talk about on this episode, but is a really weird creep based on like this ventriloquist doll and they completely remodeled the character and now he's always wearing this papier-mâché head and honestly, all the Saw films owe their popularity to Toy Man in this. But there's also Metallo and Parasite. Metallo, voiced by Malcolm McDowell, a British person. He's just this utterly vicious, cold-hearted monster with a kryptonite core. Parasite, Bizarro, Livewire, Volcana, Mr. Mixia Spitlick, Intergang, Granny Goodness and Her Female Furies, Calabac, Darkseid, Lobo, Weather Wizard, Joker, Sinestro, Lord Karkul, Titano, Maxima, a bunch of mad scientists, a gross tentacle creature, a stand-in for General Zod, and occasionally Lex. The same production team reassembled for a launch just shy of two years after the last episode of Batman the Animated Series. Bruce Timm, Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Rich Fogler, and Stan Berkowitz. Shirley Walker came back to score it with this soaring brass theme that evoked flavors of John Williams, and Lolita Ritmanis composed the episodic music. The great Andrea Romano was back on casting and voice directing duties, drawing utterly memorable vocal performances out of Tim Daly as a quite different Clark Kent 
calm, decent, supportive, pliable, a little bit of a joker occasionally, but not bumbling. David Kaufman riffing on Michael J. Fox as Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, appropriately since he also played Martin McFly and Stuart Little in their respective TV animated series. He's like uh, how Bill Murray is the TV version of Lorenzo Music. Corey Burton as Brainiac, Michael Ironside as Darkseid, Ed Asner as Granny Goodness. The usually weaselly Christopher McDonald, Shooter McGavin himself as the noble Jurel. But with Dana Delaney and Clancy Brown, much like Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, these are the voices I hear when I read Lois Lane and Lex Luthor. Once again, that's just how special and singular they are. And I was never an avid watcher of this series. I got the DVDs after the Batman seasons. I'd, I'd watched a couple on TV. I was, I was like 17, 18 when this came out. It was not necessarily... I was not in the place for Saturday morning cartoons as you much. The I had to go and work Saturday mornings at that point. But I kept dipping in and out and, and stalling over the years, and I, I never really got into it. And I, it took this ongoing marathon viewing of the DCAU to get me to properly watch from beginning to end Superman the Animated Series, and also to go back and rewatch our favourites that we are talking about tonight, because they really are rewatchable. I put this one off again and again, knowing that about the rumours of the Blu-ray box set which had been rumbling for years, and sure enough, as soon as we just bit the bullet and started watching and got through the first of three seasons, it suddenly magically released, allowing us to go back and appreciate the transformative restoration process of this beautiful show. So same as last time with Batman, we have picked three episodes each and I have put them in a specific order for us to cover. And with each one we can spotlight different characters. Not all of them, there are just too many, but hopefully enough to give you folks both an idea of what to expect and a hankering to catch these on HBO. And we will start with A Little Piece of Home, which is one of the earliest episodes following the three-part introductory episode, The Last Son of Krypton. It sees Superman just starting out in Metropolis as both Clark Kent and his superpowered alter ego, when a strange green rock in a museum causes him quite a headache. And at that <laughs> Sharon, when we watched this the other day, you were like, oh, I'm feeling all weak. It's kryptonite, you idiot. And I was like, this is the first one with kryptonite. We've gone back. <laughs> so... Kevin, yeah. this I is one of your like picks. They introduced kryptonite early on. Yeah, yeah, it makes series. sense. Mm -hmm. Kevin, and, do you remember when that Man of Steel was like, "We're not going to have kryptonite in this one"? It's going to oh, be yeah. completely I different. Oh yeah, I remember that, and I was like, "How long is it going to be before they go fall, uh, fall back on it anyway?" Well, I mean, they, they brought the Kryptonian atmosphere with them, which made him feel weak. That's just kryptonite. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah, it's not a I rock. Mean, no. -uh. <laughs> although, although uh, and I hesitate to use the word, but it's, it's a, a little interesting pardon the pun, nugget of trivia about kryptonite, actually, that I want to share that nice. I alluded to on the Discord when we were preparing for this podcast. But uh, the kryptonite was actually didn't get wasn't in the comics originally. Mm -hmm. It was originally introduced in the old Superman radio serials from either the 30s or 40s. Yeah. And it was I don't know if it was a substance from his home world or not, but it was introduced as a way to kind of give the actor who played Superman some time off. Oh, what? Uh -oh. Yeah, I found that I, I read about that when I was doing a lot of research on Superman when I was younger and trying to really learn, know more about the character. Because at the time, you know, this cartoon and 
the Christopher Reeve movies were my only frame of reference for the Man of Steel. So that's a fascinating insight because it is it shows that from its inception it has always been tied to bringing Superman down to earth. The mm. human yeah. actor who had to play him had to step back because just all that like either standing or like sort of saying things very dramatically does take it out of you and you need time to rest to recover yeah. so that's great yeah and it was like basically made as a substance to make superman lose consciousness for prolonged periods of time it wasn't necessarily lethal it was just enough to knock him out of commission for a bit just so he could rest yeah, his would, voice wow. yeah exactly and so. I'm, i would have assumed that it was introduced because the writers were like this guy is super strong and everyone like he, he can pretty much do anything and we keep inventing new powers for him he doesn't have yeah. any weaknesses Will make a weakness. Yeah, and I think it wasn't until like years later that they introduced it into the comics. So mm. it's it's a, mm. I, I've, and I just found that trivia a bit fascinating, and yeah. mm. I just wanted to relay it here for people who may not know about uh, that about Kryptonite. So uh, it was uh, the origin was an unpublished 1940 star, uh, title, "The K Metal from Krypton," written by uh, Jerry Siegel, ah. who uh, was one of the uh, two creators. Ah, uh, okay, Joel Schuster. Um, and I'm assuming they went back to that when they were like, what What could be his weakness? Ah, it says here in the Superman manual, I suppose, that was for the radio show. The Bible, as it were. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. we... Okay, first off, we were looking around for a really good Lex episode. And originally someone said, I think, uh, Kevin, you may have said prototype. And it's... Uh, it's no, me. I, I oh, sorry. Uh, I, said, I was the one who suggested prototype. I thought Toby was. You're, no, you're <laughs> absolutely right. Uh, sorry, we, we switched to stolen memories for Toby. Um, yeah, yeah, Toby said prototype, and uh, I realized after we watched it again that the, the guy in the suit is way more... What's it? Like the John Walker guy. Corey. Corey. Mm. Everyone loves yeah. Corey. Uh, is, is way more <laughs> focused in that episode than, than Lex is. And then uh, Toby suggested stolen memories, which is a really good Brainiac episode that also has Lex in it. And then I realized there's no really great Lex episode. Because I, I, he always positions himself de deliberately to not be the focus. His yeah. whole point from that first great scene, which we'll talk about, is that he will never be the person in the spotlight. Because mm. if he is, then he loses all plausible deniability. Yeah. Uh, there is one really good Lex moment in uh, the original, the three-parter, uh, where uh, it's it's almost wordless. It's at the end of the third episode where Lex is just in his office and he's pissed Superman off. And then you will become aware that Superman is now hovering outside uh, Lex's high-rise skyscraper, glaring at him through the window. And Lex turns around, opens the window up so that they can talk, and Superman doesn't say anything. And Lex is like, you, you, you're going to talk or what? And then it's kind of, the more Lex asks him what the problem is, the Superman ain't saying anything. It's a really great power play between the two of them because Lex is kind of caught off guard. And he knows that Superman could turn him into a pulp at that point, but he doesn't, which almost pisses Lex off more. Mm. Yeah. The, the other, another thing about Clancy Brown playing Lex, actually, he originally auditioned to play Superman because mm. he wanted to, he didn't want to play villains anymore. And, and then they felt he was better for Lex, and he's like, when am I ever going to get to play the good guy? Clancy, you have a malevolence about you. It's masterful. <laughs> Don't deny the world your talent. Uh, yeah. uh, poor, I mean, poor you were Clancy searcher Brown. for crying out loud, Clancy, own it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you know, when you end up becoming Mr. Krabs and SpongeBob, you know, the connection is right there between Mr. Krabs and Lex of the source of all capitalism in their respective towns. Hmm. So back to a little piece of home. Uh, Does this one particularly highlight anything other than just establishing that uh, kryptonite makes Superman feel weak? I think it also establishes a bit of a like a chess mastery quality to Lex a little mm. bit because uh, it it just like shows like it, like he shows that if he sees like a flaw or a weakness he will exploit it by any means necessary mm. you know and he'll use it, it, it and it, for all it's worth uh, although I I like that early on they established that kryptonite is radioactive. And he doesn't think for a second that it'll bite him in the ass. And yet, yeah. in the comics, as it's shown numerous times, it's bit him in the ass a few times. Yeah, he's gone and mad on kryptonite on at times. Mm, yeah. yeah. So. One other thing I liked about this is that it shows it's it's an early incidence of Lois being ridiculously efficient mm. when she thinks Clark has a cold because the, the kryptonite's knocking around and it's making him feel woozy. She's mm. like, right, orange juice, chicken soup, get this man healing stuff. I need him to come and work for me. Yeah, turkey sandwich, too. That's the one, yeah. I mean, Lois in this is so, like, you're right, she's efficient, but she has to be, not only because her profession is a journalist, but she's a journalist in Metropolis. Everything's moving faster than anywhere else. She has to be down at the docks, because by the time the story is out, Superman might have already got there, and, Mm. you know, the story is over. Mm. Very true. The uh, the series did end, I'm going to jump way ahead here, really quite, not, not so much abruptly, but in a kind of a sobering note. It didn't, it didn't have a big happy ending. It's, it sort of leaves you uneasy yeah. and then it's sort very of moves, melancholy. Yeah, moves forwards into uh, uh, Justice League. But it made me realize, wow, there's, there's no episode where Superman actually does come out to Lois and say, you know, I'm Clark Kent or vice versa. And so she ends this season, this three season arc still thinking he's he's that the two are two different dudes and lex similarly doesn't unveil any kind of massive plan that he's been hatching this whole time it's almost like Darkseid should have been the big bad at the end of uh, Act 2, and then Lex should have been the big bad at the end of Act 3, just to sort of close this one out as a kind of Superman and Lex have to clash. But Lex is not gone. He'll be back with the Legion of Doom. Like, like his plan's a long yeah. game. From what I've heard, the, the two-parter that closes out the series was really supposed to start off a whole new season of stories involving Superman trying to earn the trust of the Earth back after you know, yeah. being brainwashed by Darkseid. Uh-huh. And uh, but that didn't happen because like uh, of production issues because they were also making Batman Beyond at the time yeah. and uh, and so they decided to kind of thread the whole mistrust mm. of like metahumans and stuff into the early part of Justice League as a way of kind of continuing to pay that forward. Mm. Yeah, I was. It's, it's important that DC at all times are doing three quarters Batman and one quarter anyone else. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I've identified what gets in the way of me enjoying certain modern takes on Superman, which is people find it fundamentally difficult to accept the core premise of Superman, which is profoundly simple. He's a character who has amazing powers, but those powers scale depending on the story you want to tell. He will be able to do things in one story that in the next story, it's like, well, why don't you just do that thing? It's like, well, that's just not the story we want to tell here. And, you know, if you can't accept that, that this is just a serial fun adventure, then you tend to overanalyze mm. because he does these things 
and you do it with a kind-hearted supernatural person who's just wants to do the right thing and so people end up questioning that they say well what would it mean if this person was able to do all this stuff and they expand it and expand it until he becomes a dr manhattan style yeah. entity with supreme power and they think well no one with access to that much power could be fundamentally human that is not being human and by questioning it and sort of taking it in all these directions that get away from the very earnest premise of just this is someone with remarkable abilities who wants to do kind things we alter it so much that we kind of get away from it so we're no longer sure who superman even was to begin with we forget that earnest smile that christopher reeve gave everyone and that was just that's the character the best stories are the ones which actually just accept the premise and they say yeah this is superman mm. because that's who he is also it means that uh, if, if if the human race is doubting that superman could ever really be that decent inside we're lex because mm. that's his problem he can't look at superman and go you just do what you do you're clearly making the world better i will carry on being gotham's second favorite son how about that he, uh, he can't accept that. He's obsessed with the fact that Superman turned up and like an older brother who always achieved more than him, suddenly he's super competitive. Bruce. Yeah, it, it's, it's Did kind I say of... Bruce? Said Lex. No, no, I meant Lex. You meant Lex, okay. Yeah, no, well, I mean, Bruce was <laughs> like that in Batman v Superman because they had a terrible writer who went on to write The Rise of Skywalker. I gotcha. I mean, as Lex himself even says in Superman Returns, gods are selfish beings that fly around in little red capes and don't share their power with mankind. Yeah, I'm not sure what sharing his power could really, like... He is sharing his power. He's he's stopping accidents. Like that's uh, that yeah, seems to be what Superman does more than anything. He's using his powers to help people and inspire us to help each other. Yeah. You know that, that if that's not sharing his power with people, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, that, yeah, that is very true. Actually, his power goes. Like his power stems from using what he has to do something decent, which we can all do. Yeah. Lex's yeah. badness, I think, is entirely focused in the fact that he has money. Mm. He has money and he has power, and the I think what underpins his frustration at Superman is you turned up this incredibly strong security guard and you won't let me hire you. You yeah. won't let me personally have a say in what you do and who you do it for. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, in the comics... Lex was always kind of different. I think uh, it was um, John Byrne who who changed him in the early 80s after the uh, Christopher Reeve film, the first one. Uh, when Gene Hackman came along and did his version of Lex, it actually wasn't a million miles off of the, the manifold different versions of Lex up to that point. It really wasn't until after John Byrne's run and it's sort of the run up through the 90s and this version kind of cemented the sort of the cool, calm, deliberate... Very much based on Telly Savalas in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. That kind of, you know... <laughs> I have been training my own special angels of death. Those girls. Those girls. And many others like them. But exactly how? <laughs> that will remain my secret. And how many hundred millions do you want for your services this time, Blofeld? This time? <laughs> this time the price is of another kind. You'll be even more amused when you know what. In the meanwhile, I will keep you here as my guest. 
You'll be very useful in helping to convince the authorities that I mean what I say, and I'll do what I claim. And Clancy Brown takes that attitude and that lifetime of assurance that he will win, and then layers on frustration when he can't bust through Superman's armor, obviously on the physical side, but also he has real difficulty getting through that mind. He can't understand a man that is good. I'm afraid we already have a window washer. Oh, the silent treatment, eh? Well, I don't know what you thought you heard out there, but I know what you can prove, and it's nothing. You see, uh, Superman, I own Metropolis. My technology built it, my will keeps it going, and nearly two-thirds of its people work for me whether they know it or not. Even you have to admit it's a model of efficiency. And yet, I've often thought, why limit myself to just one city? A being with your abilities could be very useful to me on a, shall we say, global scale. Why don't you float on in and we'll discuss it? Say something! I'll be watching you, Luthor. Wait! I'm not finished with you! Let's move on from Lex, which the, the films seem unable to do, and go to a character Indeed. who has been almost in loads of films. He was almost in Superman 3. He was almost in the... What was it called? The, the one with Nicolas Cage that never got made. Superman Reborn. Okay. The spiders. Oh, yes. Yeah, the the the, the one do, um, produced by John Peters uh, was going to have Brainiac in oh, it as well. Oh, the one with uh, that Kevin Smith was going to write. Yeah, that's the talking one. about that one. When I'm all done, he's like, "All right, I think we got a movie here." He's going. The problem though, you're missing some beats, some action beats. You need an action beat every ten pages. Something big has to happen. I said, "Well, what are you thinking about?" He's like, "Well, it's just an example. Like when you go, you have a scene where Brainiac goes to the Fortress of Solitude, looking for Superman. Superman's dead at this point. Hope I didn't spoil the movie." For anybody so brainiac's looking for him the forge of solitude and something should happen there there should be a big fucking fight i'm like but superman's dead at this point he's like i know i know but can't brainiac fight something else up there and i was like well like what he's like what about like superman's guards as soldiers and i'm like why why would superman need guards you know he's, he's superman he's and plus it's called the fortress of solitude Nobody's up there. And he said, well, Jesus Christ. He's going, how about, what about, where is this? In the Antarctic? I said, yeah. He's like, what about polar bears? And I was like, polar bears? He said, yeah, have them, have them fight some polar bears. Brainiac shows up. He's trying to get in the fortress. Polar bears come at him, and he just fucking kills one, and one runs away. Because we don't want to piss off the PETA people. And I said, you want me to write a scene where Brainiac is razzling polar bears? And he says, yeah, you know anything about polar bears? And I said, no, I don't. He's like, polar bears are the fiercest killers in the animal kingdom. And at this point, I'm just like, this dude has way too much access to the Discovery Channel. Superman 3's robot woman and the computer with the lasers was kind of a, going to be Brainiac, but then they decided that they, that required too much writing, so just make it a computer and hand wave it. 
Brainiac turns up in this. Toby, because this one's yours. Tell the audience at home who Brainiac is, what his deal is, because we've never heard of him and we bloody well should have. So he's basically like Alexa, but they decided to not necessarily destroy the planet, but when the planet was going to be destroyed, they sort of decided it's in, like it would be an insufficient use of or my resources if I just let anybody know. So I'm just going to pull all of Kryptonian info into my uh, like whatever the most advanced form of hard drive or memory storage at the time the story is being written is. It was a, a floppy disk. Yeah, yeah, all of Kryptonian knowledge onto a floppy disk, and then he'll go <laughs> I think, away. Didn't he also turn up at Jurel's uh, court hearing? And as you said, like it's basically Jurel's Alexa going. No, I wouldn't trust him. He looks shifty. <laughs> Thank you, Alexa. Duly noted. Speaking speaking of Jurel, I actually kind of like that they got uh, Christopher McDonald to play yeah. the role when because uh, he usually plays villains, and he's just he's actually really good. It is yeah. a, is a more heroic they, figure. That is the thing that this show does, because it's a... I will get back to Brainiac and Stolen Memories, but the show begins differently to Batman the Animated Series, where that one, like, Gotham and Batman and even, like, a bunch of his rogues gallery Mm. show up and they're pre-established. They just are. With Superman, we actually have to... They elect to start at the beginning. Like, Mm. the first episode is not even about him. It's about his dad. It actually does a similar thing to what Zack Snyder would do at the beginning of Man of Steel, where it becomes a short film about the last days of Krypton. Mm. And I, I'm not even going to make fewer a Fewer dick about, ships. Yeah, fewer dick ships. Yeah, that is correct. But Thank God for that. <laughs> so he said Brainiac, fewer. He didn't say not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just fewer. That, although Brainiac, when he leaves, does encounter a bunch of aliens with... Very vaginal mouths, I will say that. Um, Let's move on. (laughs) Yeah, anyway. um, So a few episodes and in-story decades later, Brainiac will rock up on Earth and he'll say, look at all this amazing knowledge and technology I have. And Lex, smelling money, says, yeah, absolutely. He is the first person who intercepts the transmission. And the government say, well, why didn't you tell us? And he said, free enterprise, I'm a capitalist, and I will absolutely capitalist. So at that point, we get Superman interacts with him, and there's a representation of Brainiac being just twinned with him in some way, because they are both survivors of Krypton, and this is the only other survivor who of Krypton who will ever show up in a Superman story. There's no others, none at all. Yeah. But uh, him being a Kryptonian supercomputer was an invention for the TV series to kind yeah. of make it a little more personal. Is for, that right? Uh, for, yeah, yeah, he wasn't there. He was originally just some alien in the comics, yeah. if mm. I remember right. And so, there's a certain extra level of betrayal there as well. Mm. Then. Brainiac is someone who prizes knowledge so much that once he's learned everything in a book, will burn the book. And that means that he has to learn everything about a planet, its culture and its history, and then just blow up the planet. And the main dichotomy between Superman and Brainiac is that Brainiac is someone who prizes his purpose in life. His existence is defined on him being a receptacle of all knowledge. So he emphasizes and prioritizes his own existence by placing a 
fundamentally illogical and unrobotic and quite humanly fallible perception of knowledge being more valuable if there are fewer people around to collect it. So he will destroy present existing life in order to further his own perceived motivation of just this is what I exist for. That is mental because eventually when there are no people left and therefore there is no change in the universe, there'll be nothing new for Brainiac to learn Mm. and therefore his purpose disappears. And my collection will be complete. And since he's an AI, the only Mm. logical solution is to shut himself down. So it's the equivalent of reading the complete works of Shakespeare and going, hmm, that was good, and then destroying every single complete work of Shakespeare and saving an NFT of it. Absolutely. (laughs) Couldn't have put it more succinctly. The comparison I drew in my own notes is this is a character who is essentially if that one Twitter post about the person who uh, encased a bunch of Game Boys in plastic was just a character. Yeah. Oh, God. uh, Yeah, that's... That's what he is. He's Brainiac. (laughs) Conversely, Superman is shown. And in this episode, they ask a really uh, pointed question, which is that Brainiac does the old, like, you know, we'd be unstoppable together. Do you want to, like, sort of come join me? And, like, when he's sort of keeping his uh, detachable face mask on, Brainiac is saying that Superman is wasted on just one planet, even though Cal at this point, like, this is his home. And Mm. when he's not sure about Brainiac's evil intentions, he is considering the broader universe. And it becomes this question of, like, what is my purpose? And for Brainiac, he is so dedicated to his one purpose that he... Is, has become destructive for Superman. Even if there is some version of himself who could quest beyond the stars and leave Earth behind, like Captain Marvel in the MCU, this is what he knows. And even if he's doing so in a sort of less efficient way, he's doing some good here. It's like if Brainiac is the plastic Game Boy table, then Superman is someone who is looking after a temperamental garden but there's nevertheless some vibrant beauty to it even Mm. if it's a bit unmanageable at times also if he leaves earth he won't be super anymore anymore. let's go to a planet with a red sun oh you're rubbish now (laughs) i shall just have to freeze you yeah he's he's very that that was something that i'll talk about this a little bit later when we get to the, the one of the episodes that i chose but that's what makes superman fundamentally different from say the green lantern corps hmm. from from you know universal police officers yeah he's not going to be zooming around to, to other planets he's not he going to disappear off for 25 years solving problems on other planets and say like hey i've got other things to do I've earth i've been busy but yeah if he leaves <laughs> He, he may find himself of limited yeah. help. Earth is very much his home. Mm. And uh, we watched uh, Superman Unbound this afternoon as well while Sharon was... Uh, Sharon was technically working, but she was uh, had one eye on the screen. And it's like an expanded version of this. And it's, it's, uh, it's really good. Matt Bomer's in it. And, uh, oh, John Noble, who was Denethor in uh, Return of the King as Brainiac. Oh, nice. Much Ooh. the same story expounded upon. There's a, there's a strange element at the end 
Brainiac starts to uh, freak out because Superman gets him all muddy in a swamp and then teases him and says, all of this chaos, you can hear all of these sounds, you can smell all of these smells, you can see everything. It's overwhelming, right? And I was thinking, oh, he's going to be compassionate to him and say, I hear and feel all that all the time. It's chaos, but I don't try to control it all the time. But instead, he sneers at Brainiac and then punches him. And I'm like, that's like a jock beating up an autistic nerd. Yeah, oh, a goodness. little super dickery there. Yeah. So, what you're saying there, Alex, is that in that moment, Superman really should have said, it's chaos, be, be kind. kind. Yes, they there fell just short of what would have been a really lovely ending to that. But, uh, I mean, the rest of it's pretty good. But uh, I think the original episode is uh, is better on the whole, especially as at the end, he actually saves part of uh, uh, Brainiac's ship that gets shot down by missiles. Because, as you said, mm. Sharon, maybe Lex shouldn't have access to the world's supply of missiles. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, he gives over the, the keys to the kingdom from two seconds of knowing Brainiac. He's like, have it all, Brainiac. Just plug yourself into our mainframe. Like, that's Lex being so 100%, like, fixated on superman being yeah. untrustworthy that anyone who seems to be in some way different to him gets a little bit less of the shrift from him mm. and yeah. and when he saying like he has ac- if he has access to my code he will like there's not a computer on earth he won't have access to or like the military it's like why is lex that well connected like i don't know lex I mean, it seems I mean, like or, a pyramid either that or brainiac is basically like the equivalent of uh, the mcu version of ultron he can get into the internet and get any into anything yeah, yeah, very, yeah very similar I mean, I he that. is an artificial intelligence, after all. My God, it's like McAfee. It just worms its way in there. And at the end of the episode, Superman manages to set up the Fortress of Solitude, which is really, really good. He sort of, like, sets up his own zoo in opposition to this weird kind of destructive uh, super collector that uh, Brainiac is. He, rather than destroying things and then saving one bit of it, he actually sets out on a series-long attempt to try to preserve life, even if it's dangerous or uh, that other people wouldn't understand it. And he, he kind of makes mm. that his philosophy. So effectively, Brainiac gives him a shitty father figure to rebel against and be ah, better than. Good point, yeah. I hadn't thought of it like that, but that's pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. Brainiac, I presume. I apologize for any discomfort, but it was important that I accurately gauge your powers. Why? Morbid curiosity? Curiosity, yes. Morbid, hardly. You see, we have more in common than you can possibly know, Kal-El. How do you know my name? Have you been to Krypton? I am Krypton. We are both orphans of the same planet. While you've been living here on Earth, I have roamed the universe. These orbs contain all the knowledge I've collected. Each represents all the recorded information from a single planet. Incredible. And Krypton? All that was Krypton is contained within this orb. Go ahead. Touch your legacy. So the next one's yours, Kev, uh, as well. Should we yeah, do World's, World's Finest, Finest? Which I actually I just watched today, like uh, again, and I've just it's 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 I I mean there are a lot of great episodes in this series, but World's Finest, that three-parter that it is, is like my favorite. 
it, because it was when I was a kid, it was my first experience seeing a crossover between heroes, and it just blew my mind. <laughs> and I actually watched it when it first aired on Kids WB. Even the lead up to it, like they had all these promos and everything on Kids WB, and I was just so hyped for it. And some of my friends at school were hyped for it. And it was a nice kind of, for lack of a better term, water cooler discussion after that weekend. And and one one thing that stuck out to me now thinking back on it is that all the promos in that uh, that leading up to it used the Joker's line of "You've got the front row seat for the story of the century." You know, <laughs> used that in every single promo as a way of really creating that hype. You know, because to say, "Yeah, this is Batman and Superman teaming up, and they're going to fight the Joker." Their ideologies clash and their methods clash, but in a way that was. Not quite as toxic as Beavis Dodge. Thankfully. Oh my! No way near as much. Ooh. There's there's a really great yeah. sort of. It's a sparring match between them. Like, but it's it's not it's not a punching contest. And uh, it's a battle of words. Yeah, it's mm. a battle of words and wits. And like, the, the, the Superman uses his X-ray vision to see under uh, Batman's cowl, and which is cheating a bit. Just cheating a bit, and he says, "You peaked." And then Batman puts a little tracker. I love on how Super- Kevin Conroy says that. Just you peaked. I love that. Anyways, <laughs> and then but. Batman puts a little tracker on Superman, and uh, then when he goes back to his apartment and uh, strips down to his un- his pajamas, he then looks across the street and sees Batman there, w- looking at him with binoculars and smiling away in a kind of a, "I got the drop on you." It's that is what I would have loved to see at the cinema. Yeah, and, and also the fa- and also and Superman's response is just simply like, "Oh, touche," and then crushes the tracker. <laughs> just simple, understated touche. Okay, and fair enough. There's a neat. Uh, this is a good Lois one actually, or a good Lois three, because oh. she uh, starts to get the uh, the hots for Bruce, who's turning on the charm. And it, there's kind, there's a little bit of a uh, my tug of war going on, but uh, at the same time she manages to be herself and is quite investigative in what she's doing as well. Mm. What I I really liked about the way this sets the two of them again, well not really against each other, but but beside each other is that you get to see a real difference in how they're alter egos fit with them how their their super and non-super identities interact with each other because it it becomes so apparent that the difference between clark and superman is actually not that huge it is really just a matter of costume because the difference between Bruce and Batman is sizable. Mm. The the performance that Bruce is putting on when he goes on the dates with Lois, because we know who he is, we're sat there watching it going, yeah, he's faking. That's that's not that's not who he really is. And his and the voice is different as well, because Conroy mm. does this shift between the much lighter and softer Bruce voice and the Batman voice, which is who he really is and who he talks to, you know, how that's how he sounds when he talks to Alfred. But then the the shift between Clark and Superman is even more obviously not much, and you start to think, Lois, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, I really like that Lois actually finds out the duality between Batman and Bruce Wayne in this too, and then especially yeah, when she figured him that. out. <laughs> But you can't yeah, see I, the I also love. I also love her response to like when she's treating him for that scrape. She's like, "I'm gonna go get some iodine, burning, stinging iodine." <laughs> <laughs> just, just, she's just really just put out by the fact that the, uh, she's almost like, "Was it all a lie? Seriously, mm. you know what the hell?" <laughs> I will compare Lois in this to another animated property from the '90s that had a similar like dynamic. 
Megara in Disney's Hercules. Mm. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Which is already right. riffing on uh, Superman anyway. And uh, I, yeah. I consider Disney's Hercules the best Superman musical ever made. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a story that um, Andrea Romano, the uh, voice director, has when uh, um, the, the voice actress came in for to try out for Lois. She said, okay, so uh, Dana Delaney uh, as Lois Lane, take one. And there was just silence. And she was like, uh, Dana? And she said, just give me a minute. Because she had been waiting her entire life to hear those exact words. This is why she just <laughs> slotted into the role and was just spot on. Mm. How could you have lied to me like that? No, I never actually said I wasn't Batman. Ow! You want to know what really galls me? I mean, beside the fact that the new man in my life is really two men, it's that I'm sitting on the hottest story of the year, Batman, unmasked, and there's not a blessed thing I can do about it. Then you really do love me. I'll get some iodine for that scrape. Burning, stinging iodine. I see she's taking it well. It's ironic, you know. She likes Bruce Wayne and she likes Superman. It's the other two guys she's not crazy about. Too bad we can't mix and match. I'm not used to being rescued. Thanks. I owed you one. That robot tonight. It came from LexCorp. I can prove it. That's why I'm here. I figured you might want to help me bring Luthor in. A partnership? You're joking. Actually, I'm having trouble finding Luthor, and I thought you might have some ideas. I might. She's not gonna like this. Me leaving so soon for another fight. Tell me about it. That cut on your shoulder looked pretty nasty, Bruce. I know a good doctor who... Oh, no. Has to be done. I don't suppose a stern lecture on unnecessary risk-taking is going to sway you. Sorry. <sighs> I didn't think so. Just be... careful. So yeah, I mean the, uh, the 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 plot of this one is Joker comes to uh, Metropolis. Now I had actually seen this a couple of times before on DVD, and it never I had the, the same impact uh, because I, I went I segued from watching Batman to watching this, and mm. in that scenario, it's come with us. Batman goes to Metropolis, and it's like he's on vacation. But when you watch it, and you've been watching Superman for ages, and it's like the beginning of season two. Suddenly, this big hotshot billionaire from out of town comes in and starts causing all kinds of trouble. And you're sort of much more on Superman's side going, hey, who's this guy I think he is? And yeah, it just I mean, it Superman works even outright sa Sorry. Superman even outright says, you know, I won't tolerate vigilantism in my town. Mm. Which, of course, the moment that uh, anyone turns up and starts trying to be a vigilante in Gotham, Batman would do the same. Mm. Probably. Well... I think the, a moment that sells that is that there's a lot of moments where Superman will actually take the time to thank and acknowledge other people who who pitch in and help because he doesn't do this alone. There are a number of other people and not just the ones who have costumes that he'll even stop and like talk to like Turpin and some of the other supporting cast in the Metropolis PD, which uh yeah, it's but when he stops and thanks Batman in the middle of World's Finest, saying, uh, "Like, thank you, I couldn't have saved Lois without your help," and his response is, "I'm well aware of that." 
it's, yeah. it's such a dick response, but it's such a great like d- difference between the two that is just yeah. in two I, lines you get the personality exchange. Yeah. I, I think one of my favorite moments in World's Finest is just is the is the moment when they're approaching uh, Lex's uh, warehouse for the final battle, as it were, and uh, and he's like, Batman's like, you see anything? And he's like, and Superman's like, uh, like, well, he's been lining his warehouses with lead, so no, and. Batman's like, well, there's always the direct approach. Cut to inside the warehouse, and the and the door caves in because Superman punches it down, and Superman gestures like after you, and Batman just has this little smirk when he's like, "You're learning." <laughs> I just I just love that moment so there much. There is more amicability between these two than in three hours of Batman v Superman. Mm. Good God, yes. They had different uh, priorities, um, mm. and this is also probably when uh, the 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 DCAU starts to feel like the MCU, or rather the MCU harnessed this feel about the DCAU when you got a very authentic character who had already been established fully in his series comes to visit after at least a series of establishing who Superman is, rather than like the first pilot episode to so he like guest stars to sort of give the thumbs up to the audience and I approve of this message. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Superman has now earned his place for, to, 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 to be this version of Superman for the world and, and, and having the two of them meet was a big event. And I, I kind of wish I could have been there uh, uh, with you, Kev, just sort of watching this, oh, and, yeah. especially I mean, as if I just... I'd been younger. Like I said, it was like my first co- uh, superhero crossover in mm. any capacity, and it just, it just, it, like I can't remember how old I was. I was pretty young, but, mm. but it just, I would think I was a, almost ten probably, but it was just like mind blowing to me, and I just was, it, 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 and it still makes me giddy watching it, rewatching it again for the show, just because mm. it's, just, and I'm, I'm hoping that I get, uh, that I get to instill that kind of joy in my nephew when he gets to see it sometime. Yeah. Well, uh, I'd have been 18 years old, and uh, your mum would have said, who is this big boy in this house? Get rid of him. (laughs) Fair. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay. So uh, the other thing is that um, somehow, because of the way way this is written, Harley and uh, Lex's um, bodyguard, Mercy Graves, uh, are also in this, and they immediately hate each other. And there's a scene where Lex and Joker are talking, and the two women are just fighting in the background, physically beating each other up. It's... Yeah. It's a little bit kind of ladies. You could work together and kind of ditch these two zeros, but you know, maybe save that one for Girls' Night Out, which we've already covered in the Batman show. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so the next one, I'm actually going to jump forwards again, speaking of women, to one of Sharon's picks, Little Girl Lost, which is a two parter. I mean, this is where we kind of get into just a little bit of, of, of like, you could have done this better. Uh, and it kind of relates back to that. Um, the Mercy and Harley fight. This is where Supergirl is introduced. And there's good parts about it and not so good parts about it. Sharon, do you yes. want to talk about this? Because um, this is our, it's a second visit back to Apocalypse and Darkseid because he, he's already yeah. turned up. So I think for me, it, it's I, I like Kara as a character. I think that she has been underserved yeah. for the most part. Oh, except for, I mean, she's had a really long-running and very popular TV show. Yes, yeah. Well, that the CW show I have not mm. watched. And aside, I, maybe that's made up for all of the past shows where people insist on focusing on her little Barbie legs <laughs> and her little Barbie tits. 
and a little Barbie waist. And for the love of God, you have deliberately positioned this girl as a teenager. Could you please stop with the camel toe? Ooh. Yeah, it's uh, Bruce Tim. We already mentioned it. Kind of uh, makes all his ladies either pin-up girls or not at all pin-up girls. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Someone on the Discord pointed out that when they do the costume reveal, they they just bend physics to be like. And now she also has gloves and the boots, and it's just like you you really just wanted to have the big like pin-up moment, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And you just did not put the legwork in or. Maybe you did put too much legwork in. <laughs> in more yeah. ways than one. Also, I think uh, Kara's kind of annoying in this, in this uh, uh, first. Because, like, we don't get to see her sad. We, the um, mm. Superman finds a crashed spaceship when he's, he goes back to Krypton, uh, looking around for any potential survivors. Kind of like the beginning of Superman Returns, only he, did, he didn't find anything there. And he finds uh, Kara's ship uh, buried in ice, Everyone else has been horribly killed in their sleeping pods, which is really traumatic if you look at this scene. Yeah, well, it's all, it was on um, Krypton's sister planet, Argo. That's the one, actually. yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and uh, which it was their way of skirting around the fact that DC had this mandate at the time where, no, Superman's the only survivor, uh, like, humanoid survivor of Krypton. Weird. Is that, that's so also they how they... change it from Superman's cousin to basically adopted cousin to kind of skirt around that, so to speak. Right. So, Okay, that and is weird. one thing I actually I, that actually makes for good world building too because it also shows that the destruction of Krypton actually had some fallout to it where it affected other planets Literally, around yeah. it. It wasn't just this thing where mm. Krypton explodes and everything else around it is fine. Mm. I actually really appreciated that from a world building standpoint. Okay, so Kara would would have gone into the uh, pod hoping that her she and her family would be able to survive this. We never see the scene where she is brought out of the pod by Kal-El and told, I'm afraid they didn't make it, and she's sad. We then cut to her flying above Kansas. Like, it's a kind of, it's a reference to the Supergirl movie, and she's flying around with ducks and, and flying around cows. And she's the like... The Supergirl movie is as deep as a piece of paper! Yep, we need to move beyond that fight. <laughs> beyond. Just as thin, I'm sure. And then she floats, uh, flies over the water and, and like, admires her face. She's very pretty in the water. And it's like, do, we never get to see her pain. And also, the way that she's drawn, she kind of lapses into this almost Joker grin all the time. Oh, it's, it's really so weird. It is kind of unsettling. I agree with you on that. <laughs> it's Smile like pretty, the pretty. cryo chamber was just injecting her with Botox. Yeah. Oh. And she's a rebellious teenager, so uh, she uh, Clark's like, you stay here in Kansas, young lady. And he's an old fuddy-duddy. And she's like, oh, no way, daddy-o. I want to you know, go out rock and, and you know, drink at the soda fountain. And... Um, <laughs> She goes to uh, uh, Metropolis to do some investigation wearing a wig. Again, kind of like, um, it's almost like it's it's redoing what the Jeanette Schwartz Supergirl movie was going to be. Christopher Reeve was lined up to be in that. He was lined up to be kidnapped like Superman was in this, and Carl was supposed to rescue him. That was the, the big crossover. And then uh, Christopher Reeve read the script and went, oh, heavens, no, no. <laughs> and uh, so he was relegated to just a stock photo in that mm, film. Yes. And Jimmy Olsen turned up to be the sort of the glue that held those five films together. Yeah. You have a poster of your cousin on the wall? Yeah, it's weird. Um, so, but she's a little bit annoying and doesn't really give us that much to latch on to. And that's a damn shame because I'm actually, I, I remember the Kara from some episodes of uh, Justice League Unlimited and she's a better character. So going back to her here at the beginning, I'm like, ah, 
they had some work to do. I think one of the big MVPs for Little Girl Lost, though, is Granny Goodness. Yeah, I, I was just about to get to that. Performance. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm a big fan of the late, great Ed Asner from a young age, mm-hmm. and just he just is so good. And he makes no effort to really feminize his voice either. He just, <laughs> just goes for it, and just he is so deliciously cast and, as Granny Goodness. Okay, and you're going to have to explain to the folks at home who have seen Lex, 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 and Lex in the movies... Who the flip Granny Goodness is? You might actually have caught a glimpse of her in the Snyder Cut. Well, she's basically one of Darkseid's minions, and she's a really nasty piece of work. And uh, very, I'm not really an expert on on a lot of big, deep lore stuff, but I know she's one of Darkseid's heavies, and yeah, she's just really just repugnant. But just, but I just, I love how it has in her place. Or I just, it just, I can't help. It just, she's trying to be this old like nanny of sorts, you know. Like Ursula was in charge of child soldiers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's that's a good way to put it. Thank you. There's um, there's something a little bit culty about her. Actually, she's like, you know, come to Granny. Oh, you've been bad. I'm going to spank you. And yeah, she. In fact, one of the kids. And funny enough, actually, there's a little bit of a DC thing I noticed is that one of the kids she's taken in is voiced by Scott Menville, who played Robin on Teen Titans. Oh. Huh. You, I noticed that. I was like, wait a minute. Do you mean the one with the baby arms? Oh, no, hang on. Uh, sorry. That's Teen Titans. No, he's go. the one who had the, like, the, the freeze gun at the beginning or whatever. Right, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. But he's the one called uh, Trouble, I think. Okay. I forgot, of course, that Scott Menville played Robin in both Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. They all reprised their role. It's kind of the point. By the way, Teen Titans versus Teen Titans Go, good movie. Yeah, no, actually, those guys, like, they try to rob a computer fair or something, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and they, they, they escape with, like, a big crate full of computers, and then Superman turns up, and they're like, damn, we were attempting a big, showy, technologically enhanced robbery in the middle of Metropolis. We never expected Superman to arrive. (laughs) And then they're like, trash the computers! And then they smash them immediately and start shooting at him with their fire and ice rays. It's a bit crazy. But almost... comic booky nonsense, but it works. (laughs) Honestly, this show does uh, descend or ascend into comic book silliness. Don't think too much into this. Which I think, honestly, you mentioned this earlier, the whole idea of just accepting Superman for who he is. He actually almost... DC clearly have a better job of turning their uh, comic book heroes into animated series than they do movie series moving forwards. They are so fixated in the movies of making everything realistic with heavy fucking quotations because it's never realistic. Explain that why everything is why it is, you know, to try to have the audience buy into it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what there is in the real world? Lights. Yeah. Okay. Electricity. <laughs> People can see. Yeah. But, Science. Uh, um, but if you keep trying to be realistic in, with one character, you end up kind of having to be a bit too realistic with other characters. And you have to start explaining how Crim's uh, Red Tornado works. Which was probably the worry when Marvel was, you know, had like two Iron Man movies and a Hulk movie. And then they were going to go into Thor and they were like, OK, how is this going to work? How are we going to explain this? This Nor- guy, alien yeah. guy's an alien, but he's the Norse god of thunder. And yet we have we the only things that we've established in this world is a big green rage monster and a guy, a millionaire with power armor. Yeah. So also he doesn't have know. a cartoon and people don't know this character. Same with Captain America. Those were uh, those were risks. Yeah. But I kind of feel yeah. like DC does well when it takes risks. When it when it rests on its laurels, we get the same thing we've seen before. Mm. 
Yeah. The one note I will say about the little girl lost before we move on, and it's a little bit of trivia that I love, is that there's a comet that plays a part in the plot of the episode, and they ah. name it Fleischer's Comet. Nice. Yeah, nice little mythology gag there. I uh, I watched a couple of the Fleischers before we uh, started. I honestly don't recommend folks go back and watch these. Um, they're only 10 minutes long each, and there's some beautiful 40s animation there. But And there's only 17 of them, so you could watch them all in a couple of hours. But depending on which one you watch, you could be mortified by how racist it is. There is a I, lot of that stuff. I have vague memories of having a VHS tape with some of them on there. And mm. one of them in particular was one where he was fighting Nazis. And it was like it ended basically with like a report saying like Superman saved Lois Lane from Nazis and stuff like that. And it turns out it's Hitler listening to the radio and he just turns it off in frustration and is like... Brr. Well, that's cool as, as uh, in terms of anything yeah. that sort of uh, bites its thumb at the at the time yeah. very dangerous Hitler. Yeah, but, but um, it was. It, but that's the only one that really sticks out to me now because of the fact that you know how the world is nowadays. Unfortunately. Yeah, but the one that but, uh, stuck out to me was the Japateurs, which is Japanese oh, saboteurs, and they are drawn in that forties caricature um, style. And it's uh, really uncomfortable. Also, there was yeah. one which uh, Superman, ha- like a circus went berserk, and Superman just runs around punching lions, tying up gorillas, like throwing pa- panthers into cages and being really rough with the animals. And it does not fit with this. Like, Fleischer Superman is a dick, and you won't like him. <laughs> this Superman yeah. is lovely. When he met a giant gorilla, he bought him an island. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and he's he, less a dick because he punches Nazis, but still. Yeah, I mean, um, okay, yeah. So, he is a dick who also punches Nazis. I'll give him that. Exist. Yes, yeah. they do exist. One thing about Granny Goodness, she's really good with coming up with pet names for you. Now, why have you nosy little mice come calling on poor old Granny Goodness? Let me tell you tadpoles how I work. I seek out the lost little lamb society has cruelly abandoned. You naughty little monkey! In my little ginger snap. Girls, this ninny noodle wants to play rough. Good morning, sunshine. No time for idle chatter, pup. Dance, monkey boy, Dan. I said kneel, you big meatloaf. It will now, pork chop. She may, in fact, be the only person in the history of the world who's ever called Superman pork chop. Let's go to Brave New Metropolis next, uh, which is another problematic speaking episode. Speaking of Nazis. Um, uh, yeah, speaking of Nazis, actually. Um, this one was... Uh, I, uh, Lois, at the beginning, goes sideways through a portal into a different metropolis and then finds that it's under an authoritarian rule and there's sort of secret police roaming the streets. She meets uh, Turpin again, who's very much modelled on Jack Kirby himself, and he's Is not he? nice. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. He was the, kind of their love letter to Jack Kirby. He, oh, that makes one certain development in the show make so much more sense. Yeah. Well, we could talk about yeah. that, that now. Um, at the, in the end of uh, Season 2, Darkseid attempts to maybe not invade Earth, but certainly test Earth to see if it's ready for invasion. 
and uh, Turpin is who's been this cop the whole way through, uh, at least through season two. Who's uh, he's kind of like the thing, but not made of rock. He's like you know, hey, I, very unflappable. Too. Yeah, he does have that face. <laughs> he's he's wow. he's Yancey Street, and uh, he he's he's kind of a, a detective. He's hard bitten, and he doesn't take crap off anyone. And he'll you know tell Superman if he disagrees with him, kind of like Bibbo. Who I, I really love the fact that Bibbo turns up in this. He's kind of like a Popeye the Sailor Man dude who works on the docks and like he phones up Livewire at one point and say hey you don't say anything bad about my pal Superman's yeah Brad Garrett is really good in that role. yeah but it's like if Captain Haddock was just placed into Superman oh yeah that's brilliant that's a brilliant comparison yeah. but uh yeah so effectively Turpin is the stand-in for Jack Kirby and at the very end of uh, the Dark Side's invasion, when Turpin has stood up to him in the street and said, "You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us." Effectively, to that, uh, to this god, uh, Dark Side's like, mm, "Okay, you've won this day, Superman." Turns around, flies back towards Apocalypse with his hands behind his back, and then turns around and fires his Omega beams directly at Superman. And they do that thing that his Omega beams do, which is to jag sideways, go around Superman, and vaporize. Turpin, who is effectively dying a hero's death, having stood up to this. It's effectively just like a cop in New York standing up to friggin' Thanos or something that, like that. Yeah, it's, that 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 made my blood run cold when I yeah. first saw that happen. I was like, "What the it's, hell?" It's and, cruel. It's sudden, and it's spiteful. it's petty as fuck too. And it happened uh, the same time that uh, Jack Kirby finally passed away, and the uh, episode is dedicated to him. So. The, the funeral for Turpin, where... Uh, and Superman's really thrown by this. He starts smashing up things because he was unable to protect someone that he, he figured to be a good man who was killed out of spite. And it, it, he feels like that that, that is a, a really tangible loss. So episode... So season two ends on a, on a, on a sad note. Yeah. The, the, it's a bit about Turpin's death. Actually, they originally planned, the death was originally planned to be actually Ma and Pa Kent, who would be in Metropolis oh for some reason. But no. then they found, but then the, crea- the creative team found out that they'd have to resurrect them at some point, you know, to, from that. And they were like, yeah, we can't do that. So we'll switch it to Turpin. Hmm. And honestly, I think they made the right call switching it to Turpin because it's, it's just Superman's grief for that. Yeah. Even if, he, even if, Turbin, he and Turpin weren't on the best terms. He just it's, was like, he was, what the hell happened? Yeah. It's know? a very Agent Coulson, at least as far as the films are concerned, mm. death. Someone who yeah. is adjacent to all this phenomenal occurrences, but is quite ordinary, mm. but nevertheless takes a stand against someone who is to mortals and immortal. Yeah. And they're just taken away for really no reason. And a lasting death that doesn't get reversed, like they, they don't reverse Turpin, is, is one that will stick with you. Uh, we were just chatting before we uh, came on on the Discord about how many times Aunt May has died and been brought back in the Spider-Man comics. And oh, it really God. makes, it, it subtracts weight from those deaths that you cried over because, and this actually relates back to Superman, as uh, the guy himself, Max Landis, said, the death and return of Superman uh, was such a huge fuss in comic book uh, history that it actually killed death in comics, that everyone get, gets killed and then brought back because the, their death is supposed to be a big moment, but they want to carry on using the character. So they want to have their cake and kill it. It's uh, it's yeah. grim. 
Why would you kill your cake? I don't know. People of Earth, I am Darkseid, Lord of Apocalypse. Here is your savior, cow and broken. I have crushed him as easily as I have crushed all who have dared to oppose me throughout the cosmos. I am power unlike any you have known. Absolute, infinite, and unrelenting. You have no choice but to prepare for a long, dark future as my subjects and my slaves. This is our world, Ugly. You won't get it without a fight. You hear that, Dark Side? The people of Earth aren't like your slaves on Apocalypse. They don't take kindly to dictators. If they resist, I will not hesitate to destroy them. You want a piece of me? Come on, come on, Rockhead! Jeez, is he crazy? Yeah. Don't they know this is suicide? Better a quick death in battle than a slow one under your heel. Several things happen for the next few minutes and eventually Darkseid backs down when his son Orion turns up on behalf of the Allfather. But it is very notable that Jack Kirby created Captain America in 1941 along with Joe Simon before being drafted into the army himself in 1943 and would love to be remembered telling fascists to fuck off. Go on, you mangy buzzards, and don't come back. Savor your moment of triumph, Superman. But remember, victory has its price. Back to Brave New World. So, yeah, Lois is in this um, authoritarian metropolis where everyone's, uh, like, there's a lot of people sort of scurrying around. It's very sort of post-apocalyptic. People are sort of warming their hands and glowing braziers. Everyone's ragged. And then the people at the tippity-top are living in skyscrapers. And Lex Luthor and Superman in a statue are running the city. And Lois is like, what? And I went, oh, no, I hate it. And then as soon as she uh, she meets Jimmy and he goes, you're dead. Uh-uh. You, you, uh, you were blown up in an explosion. And she's walking along with him. And, and it's like, Jimmy, you're being really calm about the fact that like, this, this friend of yours is dead. And he's like, no, 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 I've got to give you this exposition dub. You're dead. And when you died, Superman went crazy. Well, clearly I'm not dead, Jimmy. When she meets him, rather than breaking down and going, what have I done just because I thought you weren't here? Superman's like, hmm, how's it going, Lois? And then he kind of explains a little bit about, like, you know, I wanted to, to put the world in order. And then you're like, right, okay, but here's the thing. Lois, Lois thankfully slaps him. Gratefully so. But... Then the most of the end of the episode is like Superman chases after Lex Luthor, who's in a flying hovercraft and they're having a fight in midair. And it's like, no, 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 come back. We're going to have a fucking talk about this. You can't just pull authoritarian Superman out of your jeans like your errant penis and then just 
put it back away again and go, don't worry about that, see you later. And it's like, you. Th- this is one episode. It really needs to be two. And Superman yeah. needs to have a talk with Lois, with Lex, and with Superman, if that makes sense. Like, this is a yeah, serious thing. perfect sense. And unfortunately, but- this has abided in the comics, or, or in some degree, because it fucking turned up in the Snyderverse that the moment Lois dies, the moment Lois dies, Superman's going to immediately become a black-clad Nazi. What the fuck? Yeah. Anyone up for a game of Injustice? Exactly the same, again. Yeah. Lois dies, he kills the Joker and becomes an authoritarian superpower. Though at least there's a decent Superman in that game who needs to take him down. What Snyder's idiotic take lacks is a control Superman, a version we know, who can observe, ugh, this is what I could become, this is my nightmare. And please don't come to me with, you know, Zack Snyder is a genius. He's by all accounts a decent guy to work with, but he's not smart. And he doesn't know thing one about the source material he was gifted. I'm not usually a fan of high top films, but they nailed him with this one. It takes the form of a fake interview, but all of Zack's responses are real. Why the fuck does Batman kill in your movie? Um, if you, there's a great YouTube video that shows all the kills in the Christopher Nolan movies. Um, even though like, we would perceive them as uh, movies where he doesn't kill anyone. I think there's like 42. Are you talking about the Mr. Sunday movies YouTube video? Is that what you based Batman killing off of? In your film, in the Nolan movies, the, like the Bruce Wayne is all about not killing people. He has the moment where he tries to kill Joe Chill and he throws the gun in the river because his father would be ashamed of him. Did you, did you, did you see those movies? The Dark Knight, Joker tries to get Batman to break his rule. Hit me. Um, Zach, have you seen these billion-dollar commercial and critical successes that basically got you to be able to make Man of Steel? Have you seen them? Includes, also, it goes back and includes even the Tim Burton Batman movies where, you know, this reputation as a, a guy that doesn't kill comes from. So, um... Did you just say that in the Tim, Bur- the, the Tim Burton movies, that's where his no-killing rule comes from? He fucking puts a grenade on a guy and throws him down a shaft and blows him up. Although I would say, you know, in the, in the Frank Miller comic book that I, that I reference, you know, he kills all the time, right? The Dark Knight Returns, the, the book where Batman takes the gun, breaks it over his leg, and says, these are the weapons of cowards. And all of my guys that I work with were like, you gotta shoot him in the head, you know, because they're all comic book dorks. Who the fuck do you work with? Seems like a thing you really need to kind of find out what happens there, I, I think. The, the, the most disquieting thing I found while, while re-watching the episode is I noticed that the S logo is done in such a way that it resembles the SS logo yeah. from the Nazi party. I was like, really I'm hammer gonna, that home. I'm going to call him authoritarian Superman rather than Nazi because he doesn't yeah. behave in a death campy kind of way. But that's an SSS. You're absolutely right. I just I found that really disquieting mm-hmm. looking back on it because you know I I read I read a lot about history and stuff probably too much of that is healthy for me but yeah. I like to learn. The reason and this pisses me off is it, because people like Lex don't put any faith in the essential goodness of Superman and then in brackets people. And yeah. if it's that easy for people to just go I've lost the one person I care about now I'm a Nazi. It's genuinely irresponsible storytelling to do this with a hand wave and then to hand wave it back again. At the end, Lois is is like being carried away by the good Superman back in her own world again after having gone, 
bye <laughs> to the other one. And uh, she says, maybe we should get to know each other. And he's like, hmm, maybe. You're, you're, why are you interested in that? She's like, well, better now than never in a kind of a, yeah, you should probably get to know me and maybe see me fart. Maybe see me fart, Superman. Maybe just watch me on the John while I'm taking a really big shit. Maybe so that you can just, not, not for a sex thing, just to, like, demystify me in your head. Because Jesus Christ, dude, you've got to stop taking over the world when I die, okay? It's three times now. This is not the direction I figured. Do you know how horrified any sane person would be if that was revealed to them? And then Lois is really fucking cash with Superman for the rest of the series. Terrible, irresponsible fucking storytelling. Mm. But it's off my chest and that's all. That's the that's the lowest it gets for me. The Fair lowest. Enough. The lowest. <laughs> oh, jeez. Let's have a fun one after that. You're the lowest on the totem pole here, Alva. The lowest. We could go back to the mixed bit, uh, bit later. Exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Oh, uh, and you're having some problem with translation there. You're having problems yeah. with pronunciation. It's yeah. mix. Mix. Bit. Yes. Yeah. Spit. Lick, and, and it's also poignant that I—I I think it's oddly poignant I picked this one, considering that he, he was voiced by the great Gilbert Gottfried, who oh. sadly passed away a few, uh, like not too long before I we recorded. I can't believe he's gone. He Me too. I was mean, always that voice, great. That delivery. I mean, he was for me. He was originally Yago from the from Aladdin. Me so. too. The thing that I missed the most about the chemistry of Aladdin in the, the live-action remake, was Iago. He was relegated to a silent parrot who then turned into a big rock. Oh, that's going to be a blight on me now because I haven't seen the remake oh, yet. Oh, you won't like it because it's got no Iago. <laughs> and then we <laughs> shove Papa-in-law and the little woman off a cliff. I love the way your foul little mind works. What a combo, those two. Anyway, yeah. So Gilbert Gottfried plays Mr. Mixies Pitlick. So, Kevin... Who is this guy? Uh, he's a guy from... He's basically like the Great Gazoo, except a little more malicious. <laughs> <laughs> That's an accurate I would say, one. probably. Yep. Uh, he's I mean, like a he little just, wizard guy. He's like guy. from another dimension of sorts, where, and he considers other people's from our, people from our dimensions, including Superman, to be less than, so he likes to just needle them in a Loki-like fashion. So Is he like Q from Star Trek? I haven't seen enough Q. I stuff. would definitely say he's definitely like Q. Okay, there we Q, go. Q was one of my favorite characters from Star Trek, so yeah, right. that, that's a very apt comparison. Definitely. He's a prankster and a trickster, and... Oh, yeah. When Although he turns there up... There have been times when he's not so harmless and oh, right. he's actually been pretty deadly so but in the comics anyway from what i can understand but Indeed. but but most of the time he's meant to be like a comic relief villain so he's kind of a rumpled stiltskin as well because the way you get oh, rid yeah. of him is to say his name backwards oh get him yeah. to say his name backwards <laughs> so the gag in this episode is just that superman doesn't rise to the bait and while gilbert's screaming with that voice of his uh, he's just like, oh, sorry, what, what did you say your name was backwards? And then it, he tricks him repeatedly into saying it backwards and going, oh, no. And then when he is banished, he has to be away for three months. Then he comes back. And it's it's like, it's this three months later and Superman is shaving and then he turns up again. It's this, it's really fun as an episode. Mm, yeah. I think my favorite gag in the episode, though, is the fact that one time during his, when you see him in limbo and you see his like really hot pinup wife, you mm. know, there and some, and he's building basically like an ironmonger suit, you mm. know, to do to do battle with Superman this next to go round, and you see him disappear, 
and then and you don't see what you don't see a cut to Metropolis, and then he just he poofs back in his and he just is like not one word not one word <laughs> i don't want to hear it there's a sequence where she's trying to get his attention and she keeps walking into the room in increasingly hornier 1940s lingerie and i'm like this is for kids bruce tim this is not a chance for you to go january through december all with mr mixius pitlick's wife yeah, I didn't think much of it at the time when I was a kid. I just thought, oh, he's trying to be affectionate. And then when I was older, I was like, oh, that's what they're doing. They're leaning on the saxophone. I was way too innocent as a kid, so I swear. And yeah, ultimately, the the, the episode is very light, and uh, it's it's the ideal thing to, to follow something like authoritarian Brave New Metropolis Superman. What I like about this episode is that it indicates something that is a recurring theme throughout the show and throughout the episode that we've chosen, which is that Superman in this is a combination of empathetic and like acknowledging the people that he talks with, engages with, because while he is irritated by I got through his character, I'm not even gonna attempt to say it. Just say Mixy. Mixy. Even though he's exasperated by him, it's one of those things where after a couple of encounters, he doesn't drag out the rest of the episode going like, oh, for goodness sake, like this is ridiculous. He's just like, yeah, this is a trickster deity. Let me engage with him on not necessarily his terms, but let me sort of address the situation in the way that is necessary for it. He always has a very good judgment on that stuff because if he's going up against street-level thugs, He's not really going to throw a punch. He's just going to let them like hit their crowbars against him until they all break and just go, really? And just kind of let them get it out of their system until they realize, okay, we got to go. Because yeah. anything he could do in that situation will make him look like a dick if he takes any action against them. And with Mixie, he just will say he realizes very quickly, this is not a brute force thing. I need to engage with him on the right terms for this and it's this thing that is very important because superman is not himbo smashy superman character he is this person who actually uh, analyzes situations he is about trying to use his powers in the best application possible and i love it here because he will make mixie fly through the air and the tri- the cartoon trail that makes no sense spells out his name because hmm. when Superman has to engage with someone who is coming from a very sort of real fun- like real world source of motivation he will take it with that grounded seriousness but if he's engaging with a cartoon character he's not going to like hold himself as above it he's going to like do the right thing and possibly look a bit goofy in the process like not necessarily to other characters but to us the audience and i love that about him mr mixel plick no repeat after me bright boy it's mix yes who are you like mummy said I'm a superior being from the fifth dimension. What do you want with me? Labs! You see, for centuries now, I've been pitting my interdimensional magic against schmoes who thought they could go 15 rounds with the old master. 
Look, guys, what the tree here said is right. I can't help if I keep goofing on that big lock Superman. It's what I do. I don't need punishment. I need understanding. You know how it is. Fish gotta swim and birds gotta fly. I've gotta bug that jerk till I die. Or he does. Oh, yeah, Mr. Big Shot, Mr. Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Ha! He's a bug, you hear me? A bug! He sickens me. Enough! No, you showed up. Oh, it's you again, Mr. Kiltipsism. Not Kiltipsism! Mixius Pitlick! Now, the first thing I'm gonna do... Oh, nuts! <laughs> The next one is Toby's, and it's Bizarro World, and we get to see Bizarro, who we've sort of seen in Superman 3. The grumpy, drunk Superman was yeah. their way of doing Bizarro from the comics. So, mm. so who is this guy? Bizarro is a character that is a bit weird to get a grasp on appropriately. He is bizarre inverse Superman in concept, and different people have taken that to different conclusions i think a lot of the time it's a failed experiment to replicate superman where he has a bit of a, a, a in the traditional sense he would often say the opposite to what he means it's like it's superman but on opposite day so he'll say me love you when he means he hates. doesn't yeah exactly i mean but, and there's one there's one point where like lex says uh, to him in one episode like superman is your best friend and he's like i understand and he goes to try to kill superman yeah. <laughs> but in this the way they go about it first of all brilliant performance by the actor who plays superman tim daly, who, tim yeah. daly he is wonderful in his delivery as clark and superman and unrecognizable if you want, as bizarro he, yeah, unrecognizable. He really does like commit to it, and Bizarro is animated so well because he's got that uh, like it's reflective of the Warner Brothers animation at the time because he kind of looks a bit like a freakazoid at times. Mm. And, oh, he does. Yeah, now yeah, that you mention it, who was also the, a Bruce Tim uh, character. Yeah, but he, it's not just that. It, the way he stands and the way he flies, it's often quite gangly and a bit off. And the way they do it here is that it's more like he's uncanny Superman, where mm. he doesn't say things in the opposite way. He will actually say things as he means them, and he will strive to do the things that he says. It's just that you have to follow a slightly off-kilter logic. And yeah. what this episode is, it's sad, it's empathetic, and it's goddamn hilarious, because Bizarro, through a series of circumstances finds the memory core that uh, Superman has from the Brainiac episode, and he takes it to mean that he is the last son of Krypton, mm. and his response to that is to replicate Krypton here on Earth. His, like, his logic is, if I can't have a home to go to, I will make a home here. And that's not, that's not stupid or uh, It's General Zod's plan from Man of Steel. <laughs> yeah, but like, he's... <laughs> He's a lot less sort of uh, like it's got a lot less moving parts than Zod's plan because his is 
if I put this escalator on the side, it looks kind of like that thing I saw. Yeah. That good and, enough. And, and, and he kidnaps he also, a bellboy because he, he looks like his coat say. looks a bit like what Jarrell had. Dada. Yeah. Don't worry, Dada. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. And, but the fun, one of the funniest lines in it is just when... And what I love is that this is not the first episode with Bizarro. Uh, Lois and Superman have encountered him before, so they know that he is not evil and he does not necessarily mean to cause harm so they don't go in like swinging fists like batman when in that one episode we talked about where the baby doll is going to blow up the uh, place yeah. and alligators the like, one where bruce crazy. would rather he's have gonna... a fight with a crocodile than save gotham from a bomb and he's like yeah. batgirl you deal with that i got yeah. fisting to do like <laughs> no one <laughs> said there was gonna be fisting <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so neither superman nor lois approach this like as if like he's someone who needs to be taken down. They're just like making sure that they can de-escalate the situation. And so Bizarro, uh, through a series of circumstances, ends up throwing Kryptonite at Superman. Things aren't looking great, but Bizarro's like, "This really nice. Like Superman here, Lois here, Dad here," and he means it. He's actually genuinely happy here, and it's lovely because the very next thing he says is. This nice. Krypton nice. Shame it had to explode now. (laughs) (laughs) Because in his mind, in order for Krypton to be what it is, it has to blow up. Because that's what Krypton did. So for this to be Krypton, it has to blow up. Logical. (sighs) Lois willingly offers herself as a hostage to Bizarro in order to help uh, help with that de-escalation. And I I really like that shows how proactive Lois is. Yeah in that mm. and that she trusts he's not going to hurt her as well yeah exactly mm. and there's even a moment where bizarro will like he does the yawning hand trick because he's like he's a teenager essentially <laughs> and like when lois does that she just sort of like with a smile but like firmly just like just puts the arm off and like nothing more is made of it he doesn't then pursue that in any way he's just sort of it's just a moment where he tries that she's like oh, no and nothing more is made about it and there's a later episode where he and mr mixes pit like a kind of teamed up and uh it, it it almost gets too big as as in like there's too much chaos going on to uh to imagine yeah, one i go. would agree with that but i do at least like the fact that superman maintains giving these islands to these creatures who are so Chaotic, like the the giant uh, Titano, the uh, the giant uh, chimpanzee with his little monkey toy as a necklace now, and uh, uh, Volcano as well uh, gets her own private island. I don't know where Superman's storing all these folks. They could almost form their own Sinister Six in the end, but uh, but most of them are kind of either misunderstood or their powers are just too dangerous to be around people. But it's an extension of the Phantom Zone, which actually features in this a lot less than I thought it would. Like, the only time the Phantom Zone seems to be invoked is when Jacksaw and Mala, who are basically General Zod and Ursa, turn up and uh, Superman's like, we shall be friends. Oh, no, you guys are bad. Okay, end of the Phantom Zone. (laughs) And uh, the second time they turn up, by the way, uh, Jacksaw is voiced by Ronnie Perlman, which just... And, and... Uh, Marla is voiced by uh, Susanna York, the uh, woman who played uh, Ursa in the original Superman 2. So that one just like, I was just too busy grinning from ear to ear to even see what was, ha- to get what was happening in that episode. 
Mm, I understand. Speaking of grinning ear to ear, mm. Alex. Speed okay. Demons? Speed Demons. Uh, now, I class this one as uh, exactly as bonkers and impossible to stand up to any kind of questioning uh, comic book episodes as of any of these. Like, it's, it's Superman versus The Flash, a race around the world. Whoever crosses the globe ten times... Uh, is the winner. And they're running at freaking like, the speed of, of sound. And I'm just thinking, like, they, they even pay tolls when they're on bridges. They, they leave a I little quarter behind. I love that detail. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that detail so much, especially with the coins spinning and everything. Yeah. And like, what? And, and the toll booth is like, what the? It's so delightful. And it invites you to not ask any questions. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it's got to be on foot, and it feels like if you go ten times around the world that fast, you're basically going to disrupt the entire world. In fact, as I recall, Superman went ten times around the world that fast in the original Superman movie, and kind of turned back time. Yeah. But it's it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful kind of... For a start, the mayor, who said, now uh, it's just, this is a race for charity, boys, is voiced by Carl Lumbly. So in my head, that's actually John Jones, who has snuck in and is sort of observing both The Flash and uh, Superman, uh, and, and is going to reveal himself later. Um, but, uh, that's yeah. Good, that's good headcanon, I like that. <laughs> and uh, the, the villain is the weather wizard, who, he's driving away in a truck... <laughs> From this, uh, from the the the, uh, the seeing off the Superman and uh, Flash at the starting line, and he takes off his brown hair to reveal some slightly different brown hair, and then he goes to a hut, and the the guy's like, and he's like, "Is the machine working?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, absolutely. All the energy that is built up from the running around the world is being transmitted to us from the armbands they're wearing into our Genesis yeah. device." And the character is voiced by Miguel Ferrier, and he just gives ah. such. A great performance. Yeah, and like he, he eventually he he turns table on he turns coat on the, the weather wizard is like you know boss I, I came here to to rob some banks or something but this is going to get people hurt. It's a nice way of showing that this guy the the weather wizard has no morals. Uh-huh. I mean it's the same bonkers logic as and we we haven't got a dedicated section of this show for parasite, but his. His powers work in a similar way. If he sucks the power all out of Superman, he becomes Superman strong. But then eventually it wears off, and all that power jumps across the world to wherever Superman is and goes back back into him because science. It's rogue rules. It's fine. It's fine. It's a. (laughs) They they form a. They form a drift connection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the, you don't even want to start creating scientific explanations for this because it'll actually it will despoil science by by pretending that this makes sense. But there's a bit when uh, Superman and the Flash are running out across the ocean, and as they run in this beautiful clear sky and clear blue sea, a giant whale jumps out of the water and arcs over them, and I'm just like, this is lovely. I, am, yeah, like, I thought that was one of the more majestic shots yeah. of the episode was that with the whale. It is, awesome. a, it is anathema to the imagery of Zack Snyder. It is the opposite. It is uh, a, a panacea for those who really want Superman to be a decent person and, the, and to be friends with people. For the imagery around him to yeah. be beautiful and inspiring. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me at all in the least that uh, Joss Whedon decided to uh, shoot some end footage for Justice League to sort of evoke this episode to kind of go, hey, we're going to be more like the uh, the Justice League you remember. And then, you know, the entire world rejected that version. And, you know, frankly, fuck Joss Whedon anyway. So kind of... Couldn't agree more. 
you know, Jeff Johns and just could we, could, just like could we just throw like completely restructure DC and Warner Brothers until all of these shitheads are gone. The complaint is always, we can't do a movie about Superman. Yeah, I know, you can't do a movie about Superman. There's plenty of folks out there who can. We tried with John Peters as producer for decades, and we're all out of ideas. So we brought in the Honey Boo Boo guy to wreck Batgirl again. Honestly, at the moment, it feels like if a good film emerges from DC Warner Brothers, it's almost like the executives were asleep at the wheel and the creators snuck it out. Um, so yeah, that's that's Speed Demons. And uh, I'll just very briefly mention Livewire, who was created for this series. Uh, like they, oh, they, they, I didn't know that. Yeah, she, she had not been in the comics before, but she is now in the comics, almost exactly yeah. the same as Harley Quinn. Of course, but yeah. She's created as kind of a Howard Stern-style shock jock. Uh, but she's like a, 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 a early 20-something punk uh, wearing a leather jacket. Uh, and she's Counterculture. in the middle of the 90s, so she listens to Justine Frischman music. And she's, she likes her rock and roll. And she's, dis- she's a malcontent. And she's always, this guy's Superman. Uh, you know, he, uh, what's his angle? What's his deal? Every time I turn on the radio, freaking Superman. And she really doesn't like the fact that he gets all this exposure. But... She's voiced by Laurie Petty, who played Tank Girl. And the fact that Tank Girl then informed forwards on uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, most definitely, kind of just makes them all, like, live wire, Harley in this, Harley in that, and Tank Girl all swirling around each other. And I I just love Laurie Petty's voice anyway. And I think... I don't like Livewire because she's a total jerk and she's a wafer thin, like old man yells at cloud version of nineties kids. <laughs> yeah. The lyrics, they were so hateful. Homework's whack and so are rules. Tuck it in your shirts for fools. No. Yeah. One detail I did like though is that how of how she got her powers and you know it's like. Oh, she got struck by lightning, but no, if you look carefully, the lightning struck Superman first and went through him to her, and that's nice. probably how she got her power. So it's super lightning, again with that yeah. science. Wouldn't she become the Flash, you know? <laughs> I definitely uh, want to go back and watch Girls Night Out again, because she's in that, and just seeing her and the rest of the movie oh, yeah. would be great. Yeah, if, if in doubt, you could always uh, shove her into a vat of electric eels, and that'll do the <laughs> trick. There we go. <laughs> be careful where you fall. It's science. Seems we got a little the authorities want to shut the party down. Are you going to let them shut us down? Are you going to let them tell us what to do? They think you can tell us what to do. You think you can tell us what to wear. You think that you're better. Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. You can't buy me hot dog, man. Hey, everybody, Big Blue says you should go home and get some sleep. What do you say to that, huh? See, Superman, I'm the ringmaster of the circus, and I tell these clowns what to do, not the papers and not some pumped-up freak of nature in a cape. Okay, uh, so the next one's actually a, a more serious one. This is your, your choice, Toby. The late Mr. Kent. Why did you choose this? I was going to pick this one, too. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a good one. Okay, so I will try not to go off. Like, 
This is my favorite episode of the show. I had so much to say about it that when I was typing out my thoughts on Discord, it also converted it into a Word doc to attach to the message. That's how much I had to say about Jesus. it. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah. So when I was uh, watching some episodes and watching them with Sarah, my wife, we were really enjoying the show, but there was something that there was a little bit missing, which was a feeling of knowing the interiority of Clark or Superman as a character, because he doesn't have anyone to talk with who knows every version of him. Like an Alfred or a uh, Dick. Exactly. Like The only people, really, are characters who don't necessarily show up that much. Ma and Pa Kent are very important in that opening three-parter, but after that, they have... I can count on one hand the number of times they show up. And yeah, they turn up in that gross one with the tentacle monster. Mm, it's disgusting. Uh, but anyway, in this one, it's an episode where right off the bat, it's narrated by Clark, by Kal-El, by Superman. It's his interior thoughts on a mystery. And it's very the, film noirish as well, which very, I really appreciate. It very much is. And it's a problem which... Someone is on death row and he goes to do a story interviewing him. And during the process of it, his superpowers allow him to essentially lie detector him in an infallible way. So he knows he's telling the truth that he is innocent. But just because his abilities enable him that it's not something that pushes him to like solve it in a Superman way. He has to do this as Clark. And as the episode goes on, he actually it becomes quite important to him that he solve this as clark and at one point something happens which to the world makes it seem like clark is dead and events conspire so that he can't get out fly out of there and show up in some miraculous way because there were witnesses and it like he has to for the time being sell the lie that Clark Kent is dead to the world and when he's at the far there's a very funny moment in this where a detective is ringing Mark Kent and it's like so I just want to make sure you understand what I'm saying it's like oh yes no my son was killed in an explosion it's like well you don't seem very upset about it cut to Superman sat at her kitchen table so she knows <laughs> that her son is fine but the her Clark's parents say you know, this he's not actually dead. He just doesn't, like, he can't be Clark anymore. And Superman says this line, which I love, and is at the heart of the character. Superman says, I don't want to be Superman all the time. It would drive me insane. I have to be Clark. That's also who I am. And he lives a very sort of difficult existence to, like fully relate to because he is living these two lives these two identities but they are nevertheless both him at one point he even says in narration that he like was getting tired and he could do with a bite to eat even though he doesn't necessarily need food to survive due to some bullshit about sun rays or whatever but he he says old habits die hard he lived for a decade and a half as Clark Kent, that's not going to shake off just because he now has access to a bunch of superpowers. He's lived this life. He's learned to be Clark Kent just as he's learned to be Superman. And it's just a wonderful insight into like 
who Clark is and why it's not just a mask he wears. When we were talking, when Sharon, you were talking about how with Bruce, when we hear him, his Bruce voice feels like a lie he sells to the world while Batman is his true voice. But here we see that Clark can't be that. That isn't him. He, like, I do interchange between calling him Superman or Clark or Kal-El because they are all factors of who he is. And if I have one negative note against the episode, and the animation is stunning, by the way. There's a fight with a helicopter at the end, and the posing and the sort of shock. Ah, it's great. So much good stuff in it. But the one bum note is that it does get, it has this dark note that it ends on where the person responsible for this and I, I won't give it away because i do recommend it and it is a mystery but they yeah. are sitting and they're on death row they're put on it's what is essentially the electric chair a chair where he is about to be gassed and in his final moments he's saying like how on earth could clark kent have survived that explosion there's no way and it cuts to a shot of the most film noir like Chescuro, like light and dark slicing across his face as his head turns up and he realizes the greatest secret of metropolis he's superman cut to someone pulling the switch and that secret dying with him fucking yikes. and it fades to black too which makes yeah. it even better worse but it I'm actually I, I, get out of here, Snuffy G. Walden. I to pick that as well, <laughs> because of the note it ended on. It was just so dark for a kid show, but also the fact that it's the fact that you know what you just said, Toby, about the fact that I have to be Clark, otherwise I go nuts. You know, I, I love the fact that this version of Superman is very open about the fact that. I want. I need to be Clark. I need to feel like I uh, be down to earth as well as being this extraordinary being to inspire everybody. You know, mm. otherwise I just I need both halves because yeah. they're both who I am. Otherwise, I, I become Doctor Manhattan or Henry yeah, Cavill's could, Superman. Batman is actually Bruce Wayne. Spider Man is actually Peter Parker. When that character wakes up in the morning, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a costume to become Spider Man. And it is in that characteristic Superman stands alone. Superman didn't become Superman. Superman was born Superman. When Superman wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent. His outfit with the big red S. That's the blanket he was wrapped in as a baby when the Kents found him. Those are his clothes. What Kent wears, the glasses, the business suit, that's the costume. That's the costume Superman wears to blend in with us. Clark Kent is how Superman views us. And what are the characteristics of Clark Kent? He's weak. He's unsure of himself. He's a coward. Clark Kent is Superman's critique on the whole human race. Amazing. Every word of what you just said was wrong. Yeah, and I could, and I have not seen any other version of Superman, even Christopher Reeve's version, make that open acknowledgement. Mm. And this is the only one. And I feel like if the movies were to allow Clark to have that kind of 
open acknowledgement to some people, maybe people would buy into him being this good-natured guy who inspi- tries to inspire yeah. people. And what I recommend to people, if if they are listening to this and like, you know what, like this show was really cool, I don't remember it as well as the Batman animated series, I'm going to go back and watch it. If you feel as if the show is missing just that little bit of insight, I do recommend maybe skipping to this a little early so that you can get that interiority, because once you know that it's there, you see it's in every action just because it's not emphasized doesn't mean that it's not there in the way he conducts himself it's just so yeah that the show was missing something for me and this filled that need perfectly for me couldn't have put it better it establishes the the value of clark kent mm. which is the man in the super and ultimately that's that's really why Superman is Superman, because of Clark, because yeah. of the values that he grew up with. And you're absolutely right about that being largely absent from the DC version, the, mm. the, the DC EU. TV? CU? DC EU. The, the, the movies, the Snyderverse movies. Yes. Um, because the when he's Clark, it feels like a disguise. He's wearing a suit that doesn't sit comfortably on him, glasses that, that aren't his. When he's being Clark at home and no one else is around, he wears jeans and a T-shirt and no glasses. Hmm. There's, uh, I'm just going to talk very briefly about one thing that really bugged me about the very, very end. And I'm going to leave us on an uneasy note because that's how they left us in, in the uh, series. And so that we can then move on to uh, uh, maybe uh, a, a future for Superman that goes beyond working alone. He is, we mentioned, you mentioned this uh, earlier, he's mind controlled by Darkseid and then starts trashing uh, things. And they, the humans catch him after he's uh, caused a lot of damage, and they hold him, much like Henry Cavill Superman in Man of Steel, in a military base, and he is told what he's done, or briefly, you know, you've, you've, you've trashed a whole lot of places, and his immediate response just, it vexed me so much that I was like, you can't end the show like this. His immediate response was it wasn't me, or it's not my fault, or I was being mind-controlled. I can't remember the exact words, but it's effectively divesting himself of all responsibility. The Superman I know, the version that I've seen throughout these three seasons, would immediately go, who did I hurt? Mm. To illustrate to us that it wasn't him at the time, but also to take full responsibility, who did I hurt with this body, with these powers? That he would take responsibility that isn't even his. That's the direction he goes in. He doesn't go, it's not my fault, ever. I've never seen Superman say that. Yeah. And it's such a weird moment, and it, it, it doesn't, it can't really pull back from that for the end. And then the rest of the world's like, I'm not sure about you, Superman. I mean, Jimmy Olsen still seems to believe in him, though. He's like, so why don't we just give Superman another chance? Mm-hmm. So there's that, I, but... I do feel as if they work to that place that you're saying that he should be at, but it, immediate reactions are important because it suggests that this is the most sort of gut instinct internal part of a character. So if Superman's first response is that, it just complicates the impression that you later try to build to because the end is a melancholy note, but I actually really like the idea of ending it on a place where Superman 
has this impossible task of just trying to build trust and hope in this world again after he's shown after he's compromised the like the pillar that he's built himself to be and he has to do that one person at a time and there's consequence because one character who shows up again and again is this head of star labs this scientist who's there to kind of help him yeah he's there to help him figure stuff out and in the final episode you see a rather uncomfortable thing happen where he's afraid of him and within the episode you see that he's it's not that he's given up all hope he just says i used to look on him as a friend and now i'm not so sure and that shakes you but the fact that we do end on this last note of lois seeing this and saying like with one person at a time that is that thing that after all the cosmological stuff that is wrapped up with dark side and apocalypse and by the way kudos to this show for making me give a damn about all of that after hearing yeah. mother boxes so much in the side no kidding that it lost all meaning that like after all of that which you were invested in it brings it back to the core of superman that he will help people one person at a time Extra credit, by the way, for uh, Michael Ironsider's Dark Side, who oh, yes. never falters from seeming like this insurmountable force. Like, he that really sells helps. that. He, he just seems so just... I mean, if they had gotten Michael Ironside to play Thanos, I would have bought it too. He'd have been available. Just, but, I was thinking about the CGI Dark Side voiced by nobody in uh, the Snyder Cut and thought... Couldn't they just have gotten Michael Ironside to voice him and, you know, worked mm, on the face right. a bit? Or, like, if you're not going to show... If his face looks like that, keep him in shadow or something. Just have two glowing red eyes would have been so yeah, good. Sometimes, anyway. sometimes just showing glowing red eyes in shadow is more effective than seeing a person in yeah. per- man himself. Mm, in my better than just yet another cave troll. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, it ends... The way you're describing it, Toby, it, it ends almost like the end of Civil War. So, like, you've got like, – there's, there's hurt that's been done. You've got to now kind of work towards am- making amends for that. I still maintain that if uh, Steve Rogers had been told you caused all this chaos, his immediate response would have been, who did I hurt? Because yeah. he's Steve Rogers and he's motherfucking Superman. And I, th- I feel like we need that level of inspired casting to get yeah. a, an on-screen uh, Superman that people actively love. I mean, I mean, I mean, heck, even in the Avengers, you know, when Hulk had that little Hulk out thing and stuff, uh, you know, like, and, uh, yeah. you know, and, uh, and you see him all naked in the rubble and everything. And the guy's kind of rousing, uh, trying to get him to wake up. So he's like, mm. he wakes up and he's like, did I hurt anybody? Yeah. Yeah. That's you a good and so, so even Joss Whedon kind of knows that to some yeah. extent, problematic uh, as he is. Yeah. Um, but. I'm thinking of this like a TV show which has a beginning, middle, and, and, and a final episode, when really what this actually is is a long series of interlinking comics, and this leads on to the next one. It's not a case of, and we're just going to end there and we'll never come back to Metropolis. It's that the world goes on much like the MCU. Yep. Kryptonian. We are the guardians of the universe. Welcome to Oa, Superman. Unfortunately, your arrival confirms our worst fears. Urban Sir, Green Lantern of Sector 2814, 
is dead. Okay, uh, In Brightest Day is one of yours, Sharon, and why did you pick this one? I think it's mainly just because I am a huge fan of anything Green Lantern lore related. I even have a soft spot for the Ryan Reynolds movie. Oh my God! I know! But the, you know, fuck Jeff Johns, but the uh, his Colour Lantern Corps series mm. I that was probably the first DC storyline that I read start to finish mm. and I just I love the concepts of it I love the stylings everything about that I absolutely love so anything else that sort of feeds into that larger Green Lantern universe mm. I am a big fan of even if it's bad I still like the the way that it, it explores mm. those ideas and I think I have a particular soft spot for this episode because my, my Green Lantern if you like is Jon Stewart mm-hmm. because it is odd that they, they spend this episode bigging up the current comic uh, version of Green Lantern who was Kyle Rayner yeah. an artist who was also a quarterback yeah but but like Kyle Rayner is not in any other Green Lantern yeah. thing he's that not, I've seen he's literally he's never in Justice League Unlimited even as like a guest character to go oh hey I met Superman one time absolutely hey John he does make one small appearance in Justice League but it's not significant nothing compared with John and, and and then you'll have other people who were like, Hal Jordan, Hal Jordan, Hal Jordan, Hal Jordan. Work shit up about Hal Jordan. Yeah. So just the I mean, even Guy was... Gardner turned up in the Green Lantern animated series, <laughs> but never Kyle. But never Kyle. We had an agreement, Kyle! Yeah. And uh, Limelight, I'm also a big fan of. Okay. But we'll talk about her at some other I like points. anything Lime. Yeah, well, that's very true. <laughs> but <laughs> this episode is, it's not dissimilar to the Green, at least the the first part of the Green Lantern movie because Avan Sur turns up on Earth, a dying alien, and then his ring goes flying off his finger, Absolutely. flies it like flies through a guy's newspaper, and it's like an alien is dead. Can we have a moment of silence? Mm. But in this instance, the ring fetches up in a men's toilet mm-hmm. and is picked up by the artist. Kyle Rayner. Oh, cool, the ring. I think as well as the the Green Lantern side of it, I also appreciate the fact that because we kind of get introduced to Kyle through Jimmy, Mm -hmm. because they're work colleagues and friends and and we see them hanging out together, and it, it puts a bit more of the emphasis on how we, as in humans, who are observing Superman and being inspired by him can also choose to be superheroes. Mm. It's it's almost a, a Green Lantern episode. Superman takes a back seat mm. and kind of lets Green Lantern do his thing throughout the episode, more so than with Flash, where they were actually up against each other. Superman's almost just like being given the tour, and he's our eyes and ears into mm. sort of, here's the Green Lantern thing, maybe we'll do a Green Lantern animated series. Isn't, they didn't. Isn't there also a moment... The I Green Lantern animated series. I might be misremembering this, but isn't there a moment where it's kind of like, you could also be a Green Lantern. Oh, wait, no, you've already got powers. You don't need it. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, Superman did become a, a lantern at some point in the the comics. The comics where everyone gets a lantern, you know. <laughs> you get a ring and you get a ring. <laughs> we need backup and reinforcement. Just any, like, Green Lantern fans tend to be sort of like, they, they, they love, like, you know, seeing a mix of different characters, you know, being able to combine their powers. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not the most complex of episodes, but it's just yet another fun one. And there's another one with Aquaman as well, who is not the um, 
the hook-handed, long, yellow mulleted, uh, you know, stripped to the waist version of Aquaman who turns up in Justice League. I think it might be, it has to be canonically the same Arthur Curry, but he's, he's grown his hair and had his arm bitten off by a shark. But he's, yeah, he's wearing the orange top and, uh, you know, he's very grim and not much fun. And honestly, and I've said this one before, anytime I get any vision of any version of Aquaman who isn't Jason Momoa, I'm like, mm, bored, don't care. <laughs> Like, so all these years, you can't do an Aquaman movie until you get Jason Momoa. But then after Jason Momoa, you're going to have to work pretty bloody hard to somehow do better than that. Indeed. School of Movies is brought to you by Patreon. And everyone who supports us there every month, you keep the lights on for this show. And if you're at the top tier, you get a special shout out every episode. So thank you to Aaron Lecluse. Abel Savard, Alejandra Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Timu Hellas Hayo, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skills Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. So that will be all on Superman's solo adventures. The next animated series we are going to be watching will be Justice League. Before we go, gentle guests, would you tell the folks at home where they can find your stuff? We will start with Toby. So, if like Lois, you have an inclination to travel through a wind door, you can find me and my co-host Greg talking about a uh, series of books that is very close to Alex's heart, New Century Multiverse. If you are a fan of stories that are interconnected in the same way that the DCAU builds itself to be, it's very much in that wheelhouse. I recommend the books first and foremost because that's what the entire show is built on, but it's a book club for a series of books that mean the world to us. Thank you. And Kevin. Well, you can find me on YouTube. I do like Let's Plays and such. I recently rebranded myself, so my old username is, if you've heard me on other shows, uh, is no longer applicable. So I'm now known as Kevin the Time Geek 86. Um, I like I said I, I've done let's plays, I've done like unboxing videos of various gaming paraphernalia that I've acquired over the last few years. And if you want to listen to me talking about st- another thing I love, listen to the show that Alex and uh, myself and one other person did on Chrono Trigger because that's like one of my favorite RPGs ever. And while I haven't done a let's play of it yet, I, I still stand by that being one of, a, a really good primer on a very classic game that still holds up even now and i just i'm very proud of the work i put into that so yeah that was a great show thank you so we will be back next week i have been alex shaw a bird and i've been sharon shaw a plane and up 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 and and away away. (laughs) (laughs) i was such a nerds (laughs) 